Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 38, and we're doing chapters 55 through 58 to the end of part three of Words of Radiance. I have received many comments, many messages about this specific episode waiting for the Kaladin Adolin duel. This scene is quite famous in the in the fandom, a a, a very a, a fan favorite, if you will. And a lot of people are looking forward to both of y'all's reactions to this episode. So, we'll start with you, no Paul. Pressure, I guess no pressure. <laughs> start with you, Paul. How are you feeling? You want my reactions to this? <laughs> well, um, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. Uh, I'm skipping ahead. My two words are chaos and uh, and loyalty. Okay, chaos and loyalty. Elliot, how are you feeling? Feeling great. This these chapters were crazy, crazy <laughs> indeed. Do you want my two words? Sure. The two words I had to go with for for these chapters were wind and wow wind and wow chaos and loyalty all right let's jump into this adolin kaladin duel Okay, just to clarify, it's not an Adolin Kaladin duel. It's an Adolin and Kaladin duel. Dueling the rest of the world. In a dueling arena together, side by side. The bros, the homies. Yes, it's it's quite the intense game of Super Smash Brothers or something going on. Exactly. All right. Everyone got involved. (laughs) Elliot, talk to me about your two words wind and wow. I feel like they're pretty self-explanatory though. <laughs> yeah, kind of pretty much. I mean, yeah, I just, wow. I, I was not expecting this kind of wrap up to, to chapter three. I, I was expecting something big. I thought we were going to get, you know, something very plot heavy, some big reveal, something to lead us into the rest of the book, but to have like this much adrenaline pumping, like action through this, this segment of just, you know, like wow, I didn't have another any other word to to describe it. And then I just had to pick wind for one moment during the the duel where Kaladin is facing down two of the shardbearers on his own, and he just like has this moment where he he returns to that like Kaladin is one with the wind, you know, state where he's just you know dodging left and right and he's not even thinking about what he's doing is just being awesome. Like that was such a cool scene that harkened back to a lot of what we've seen Kaladin do in his journey so far from his spear wielding moment down in the chasms to the dodging all the Parshendi arrows while wearing all the carapace to now Kaladin facing down two shard bearers with nothing but a knife, like, man yeah so cool i'll get to you paul here in a second but just a little food for thought until we get back to this this is the first time since 
sort of, probably the end of part two, that we have seen Kaladin fight to protect, specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's also the first time we've seen this wind reference in quite a long time. So it is, it's, if you tie it back to his oath of, I will, I will protect, and we get the, our, our wind uh, metaphor here. And while you're drinking out of your, your salsa bowl, Paul, I will ask you to explain your two words. Thank you. That was refreshing. Um, so my two words, chaos and loyalty, kind of go against each other, I guess. But chaos is kind of like Elliot's wow. The whole dual time frame there, which went on for a while, which I loved, um, was very chaotic. And there was a whole lot of moving pieces and stuff going on. So it, it was kind of all over the place just everywhere um loyalty though i actually put a good bit of thought into this um it's for i guess multiple sides it's it's almost like two sides of a coin there's a loyalty that we see like with renarin as he shows up and kind of like wants to stand by his brother's side um and things like that but on the flip side of that we see where a lot of people's loyalties lie and I think that was kind of a big revealing moment for a lot of characters because a lot of the characters we've seen really haven't been put under that much stress. I'm thinking of Elokar here, and while he's the, literally the king, so he's always under stress, I'm sure, right? He's got stuff going on. This was where he was like tested by someone we've seen, which being like Dalinar, he kind of talks to him, confronts him, and him and some other characters, their loyalties don't lie to Dalinar, quite it's more of like a following rules following traditions things like that and kind of a interesting approach and i feel like we got to learn a lot about characters we've seen for a while in a different way kind of like in a how they act way instead of just hearing about them which i thought was really cool cool there's there's another couple characters that i'll come back to with with loyalty but we'll we'll get Mm -hmm. there but first, before we before we jump into the dueling arena, if you if you will, we have a chapter fifty five, and Hoyd is kind of the main character of this of this chapter, and so we're not we're not skipping it. We're going to spend some good time on chapter fifty five because Hoyd is Hoyd is special to me, and once again, shout out to Michael Kramer's performance in this in this episode whenever whenever one of these characters recognizes hoyd and they all say you michael kramer uses like the same voice for all three of them and and hoyd has the same reaction to all all three of them it's it's really funny where callan say you and uh hoyd would be like me and michael kramer's really good at it so i just wanted to say appreciate that did any of you? Did either of you care about Hoyd? I, I I enjoy Hoyd whenever he shows up, but I I certainly did. I I laughed. I, I laughed at the the way that Adolin, Kaladin, and Shallan all recognize him, all for you know very different reasons. They all have a very different image of who they they think he is. And then I love too that Shallan just like runs up and gives him a hug. 
and you know Adolin's like you don't hug wit you don't hug you're not wit. supposed to like him <laughs> you know just that whole that whole sequence was pretty pretty comical it did i i really loved that and and specifically what Elliot was saying was my favorite part about it was everyone sees hoid there and literally all three of them have had such vastly different experiences with hoid that like what's what does he do honestly like what what do you say like if you're him at this point like i don't know but yeah i i'm always happy to see hoid and it's i think it's kind of funny that this is like not the big thing going on because <laughs> usually right. be like ooh, oh a hoid like there's we see we see wit again like everyone sit down let's think about this for a while you know um and there's great stuff but it's there's a large object casting a big shadow this episode so there is before we move on from hoid though there is I totally agree. It was mostly, you know, comic relief, fun little section on Hoyd. But there was one little throwaway comment that actually caught my eye as perhaps a bit more intriguing that maybe tells us a little bit about Hoyd, actually. It's after Shalon gives him that hug. You know, Adolin kind of half-jokingly, half-serious is like, you know, back off, man. She, she's my girl. And and they, they get into basically, a, I think it's Adolin tells him, you know, stick to women your own age. And then Hoyd makes an interesting comment back. He's, he says, that would be pretty difficult for me, actually. I believe there's only one woman in these parts that would, you know, fall into that category. And, and like, that's it. And it kind of moves on. But I kind of pause there like, well, hold on a second. How old is Hoyd? Like, that kind of makes the implication that maybe he's, like, way older than we think he might be. Is he, like, a couple hundred years old or something like that? Is he? We've already gotten the impression that he's not human if you will, he's, he's something different. So that doesn't surprise me that maybe he is, you know, 900 years old or, or something ridiculous like that. But almost even more intriguing is there's else who's also in his category. And it's a woman who is this person. Like, have we met this person? Have we this person before who, who else is out there with Hoyd like history? I've, it was just like one sentence here, but it, it got me thinking. I have no idea. For sure. Uh-huh. I, I, thought, I was thinking about this too. I, I, I briefly thought about like, who who could it be? Have we seen this person or not? Um, I feel like the only person I can think of that might fit into this, and I'm sure one of y'all will have a point that will just ruin this, which <laughs> is fine. But we had an interlude chapter right, and there was the the like... At least she's portrayed very evilly. She like would kill people and steal a whole bunch of stuff or whatever. I don't know if y'all remember the interlude I'm talking about. I cannot remember the name. It was from the I... perspective of like her henchman, I guess. Ah, uh, yes, the um, mistress. Yes, the mistress. That's the only kind of mythical-ish woman I can think of that like he could be alluding to. That was the only thought I went to with that, but I'm not invested in that theory but i don't know if she's I, old or not but i i like that train of thought there was definitely an air of mysticism around yeah that person the mistress of you know she seemed like she could be something a little bit different so i 
I like that train of thought. I wish I could do a spoiler like edit like director's cut of this episode and put a great joke right here. <laughs> but I can't. It could just deafen us and then just cut it out and say it for in, later or something. In a year and a half when when we're allowed to know whatever this joke yeah. is, you can you can come back and recut we'll this come episode. Back, yeah, we'll come back to this and he can tell your joke and we'll be like We waited a year and a half for this <laughs> right. and then we'll probably move on. They'll be like ha ha but um one of my one of my favorite banters if you will in this chapter is hoyd and kaladin and wit keeps making fun of kaladin for losing his flute because he left it in sadius's <laughs> war camp i forgot about that yes, and that was very funny yeah and uh kaladin's kaladin's like well why don't you just tell me another story and hoyt's like well i would but i don't have my flute because somebody oh <laughs> lost my flute and kaladin's like i'm sorry i'm sorry that's it uh, i'm very really disappointed funny. in kaladin with that honestly like when the strange mystical guy who clearly has like some magical powers and can tell you a story with the smoke of a fireplace when he hands you a flute and he says don't lose this you don't lose that you, you you hold on to that, and Kaladin lost it. He also told him that he was expecting him to be able to play it by the time they met yeah. next. And as far as we know, Kaladin hasn't touched it, hasn't thought about it twice. Granted, he's had a lot on his mind, but, you know. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Shalon and... I almost said Shalon and... Amaram, that would have been weird. Shalon and Adolin go to a menagerie, and this isn't terribly important, but Shalon talks about a chicken. If I don't know if you guys picked this up, but she describes a parrot as a chicken, and she says the only shell that or maybe Kaladin, this is Kaladin's point of view, but the only shell it has is in its beak, and so he has no idea how it survives high storms. And it's really, it, it's it's funny to me that all that the Rosharan Alethi think of think of parrots as as chickens. Which, side note, on Brandon Sanderson's live streams, he has it's not a parrot, but he has a a uh, a bird and um the name of his bird is escaping me right now but everybody calls it a chicken because of this scene that uh, everybody thinks everybody says it's a chicken in his chat that's funny all right i have to i have to go back for one second here trevor sure so so this just popped into my mind immediately whenever you almost said shalon and amaram so from i i don't know that i'm not super versed in all the experienced stormlight like banter and such but i have gotten that all the i guess couples you could say kind of have like a joint name or whatever what did we i don't remember what we called it was it Caitlin or something Caitlin. like that yeah Caitlin and Adolin. i thought of shalom <laughs> <laughs> i thought of it if you come but then it'd be shalom shalomaram oh no that's funny <laughs> oh shalomaram uh you're uh you're st- oh dear! I, you're My starting. Amalon? You're starting something you don't want to start, Paul. I promise. <laughs> Please comment on this video if you think 
It's Shalamaram you... or Amalon. <laughs> okay. If you ship yes. Shalon and Amram together and how yes. you would say the couple name. Would it would it be Shalamaram or Amalon? I'm a Shalama Shalamaram. <laughs> you have to be able to myself. You have to be able to say it first. I do. I've said it like three times. Give me a break. But yes, yes. Please comment your thoughts. Oh boy. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Wise, wise. It's Shalamaram. Speaking of Amaram, he shows up at the end of this chapter after they're done looking at at chickens in cages. And it's kind of a throwaway comment in this chapter, but Dalinar names Amaram the head of the Knights Radiant. The lead knight for for the Knights Radiant. He says he's reforging the Knights Radiant and he puts Amaram gives Amaram a fancy cloak and says, You're the leader of the Knights Radiant. Kaladin is understandably not very happy with this, but um what were you guys' thoughts here? We well based on what we know of the Knights Radiant, based on what Dalinar knows here, he assumes Amaram's a good guy, but we know differently, so I think I think it makes logical sense from Dalinar's perspective. It's kind of someone he can at this point he trusts. Um right. and he knows has a lot of like in depth experience, you know. Like I feel like if, if he didn't appoint Amram, he would be trying to appoint someone like Adolin or something, and I feel like he wouldn't have as much faith for them to be like the complete leader of of the whole whole deal there and stuff so it makes sense um some other thoughts i had about it were one the description of the cloak seemed awesome i kind of want one wasn't it like black with like gold symbols on it or something like that i thought that was really cool um aside from that we, we see that kaladin is very frustrated about this and now he really doesn't really want people to know he's a surge binder because he doesn't really want to be working with, with Amaram. My last thought, and probably the only important one, is with him being the leader of the Knights Radiant, Is I, I, my thought was, is that he just going to stay there because he's like an experienced general, like in general, or... A general in general um he's a big war leader in general um or does he have experience with surge binding or know much about it or the nice radiant and things like that is he gonna be a nice radiant of some sort or what so I'm not quite sure with all that this this has got to be the most confusing part of this series of chapters for me by far. And it's not the fact that Dalinar chooses Amaram as the the leader. I agree with you, Paul, that I think from Dalinar's choice, like who else is he going to pick? That's not that far of a stretch for me. What's confusing to me is why is this not a bigger deal? This is like you said, Trevor, kind of like a, a throwaway mention at the end of the chapter. And then we're right into the duel, right? In, in the, in the very next chapter, it's like, hold on a second. 
we've talked before about what a huge uproar it would cause if Dalinar were to refound the Knights Radiant and go out and say, hey, we're starting this order up again. Where's that uproar? Where is that like, why is no one even mentioning this for the rest of these chapters through the end of the part? When I saw this at the end of this chapter, I thought, oh, this is going to be the big plot point for the rest of this. And then they like, don't even mention it. It's, it's like mentioned maybe a little bit in reference to the fact that Amram doesn't get up and, and fight later on in a duel, but like, man, how are they not talking about this? There's Amram and Dalinar are at the menagerie because they're looking for Adolin and there is a crowd around them. They do, they do cause a commotion, but you're right. At the duel, nobody's looking at Amaram. Nobody's looking at this cloak or anything like that. So, I'm assuming this is going to be pretty critical going forward. Of what this looks like, are we are we actually founding the Knights Radiant? They even talk about it in a couple of instances. That they ask the question of Does Amaram have surge binding abilities? And they're they're assuming he doesn't. I think it's like Sigzil. I think actually that like pipes in with well. Clearly, Amram doesn't have surge binding abilities, and Kellen kind of counters with, "Well, I'm hiding my abilities. Could he be hiding his?" And so there's kind of that question out there. I'm hoping this becomes a something we dive into in in part four of what this looks like, how everyone else responds to this founding of the the Knights Radiant, and and Amram's now the chief of that. But it gets very overshadowed by what happens in the next couple of chapters here. I'll go ahead and bring this up now. I'm spoiling some of the rest of the episode, but we can talk a little bit out of order. With the amount of anger that Kaladin has towards Amaram, how would Dalinar now react if Kaladin lost it and decapitated the the head of the Knight's Radiant that Dalinar just put there? (laughs) Like, if, if Kaladin... I mean... Kaladin's not in a good headspace at the end of this at the end of this episode, but we're we haven't got there yet. But if you, if later down the road, if he just loses it and takes matters into his own hands and kills Amaram, what is Dalinar going to do? Dalinar's already upset at Kaladin by the end of this episode, but getting a little ahead of ourselves. True, and he even I don't think we touched on it with last week's episode, but. When Kaladin was flying around, right, he had really kind of been getting the hang of that. He kind of sees Amaram's camp or something. He's like, you know, after all, why shouldn't I? Right. Why shouldn't I just, like, go in and kill him and fly out or something? Like, I could definitely do it. So, And that know, actually I... scares Syl, but... Mm-hmm. Sure does. All right. Are we ready for chapter 56? That's a fight. I'm kidding. We can. So, Adolin, I'm trying to remember how this chapter starts, but I don't remember. But Adolin is talking to his sword, or going to talk to his sword, and Mm -hmm. doesn't know what to say. He's sitting here thinking he's about to go up against two people. Little does he know he's about to go up against four. 
but he's sitting here and Renarin's giving him the checklist of, oh, did you eat chicken? Are you wearing mom's handkerchief or whatever it is? And, or necklace? I don't remember what it is. Yeah, necklace. And um, he, he misses, he misses the necklace and buddy, he's eating like two full plates of chicken because, you know, tradition or whatever. And Renarin sends a runner to go get the necklace. So he's still, Renarin's still at the arena when all of this goes down because that's important because he comes running out to help. And, but I wanted to stop on Adolin talking to his sword. We've brought this up before. And Elliot, you said that you wouldn't be at all surprised if shard blades had like a spren that you could talk to because Shalon talks to sticks, so why can't Adolin talk to shard blades? So, did, did either of you notice Adolin trying to talk to a sword again, or if that's just a weird quirk of his? What's happening here? I did definitely notice that. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. It was more of like a. I don't know. He almost talking to himself, right? Like, like it. In a realistic sense, he he's talking himself through it. He's like, "All right, so we're really we're really doing this, aren't we?" <laughs> um, and stuff. But I, I I didn't think too much about it. It's very possible that he was talking to some other being and didn't know it. Um, but yeah, I basically took it surface value. Yeah, I think I pondered on the sentience of Shardblades last time we saw. Adolin doing this, talking to a shard blade, and yeah, I'm definitely not ruling it out. Like you said, we've seen Shalon talk to a stick, so to, for Adolin to talk to a shard blade, definitely within the realm of possibility. But yeah, I didn't think too much on it this time. I just kind of categorized this as part of you know Adolin's routine that he has, and how that routine gets broken by the fact that he doesn't have his his mom's necklace or whatever that is, and how for you know an athlete or a performer that can that can be a big deal actually you know some people might write that off as you know oh it's just a good luck charm you know make your own luck kind of thing just get out there and do it but having like a routine that that gets you into the right mindset going into any sort of you know performance or or athletic bout is actually really important so this this could certainly throw him off But yeah, if the shard blade were to like speak up and respond, I wouldn't be surprised. Not one bit. <laughs> of course, it would probably just be like, I am a shard blade. I am a shard blade. <laughs> no, it will not catch on fire. I am a shard blade. <laughs> I'm a shard blade. All right. So Adolin walks out and four other shard bearers walk out to come come fight him there was a loophole in this duel that he had with relis and relis brings three buddies instead of one and uh, it's it's apparently part of the rules that you can just bring however many you want in a disadvantaged duel so as long as adolin is numbers down this is still technically a disadvantaged duel so he can have two people Come help him. Now, nobody wants to, but <laughs> you could have two people come help him. And 
shout out to Renarin because he doesn't have his shard plate on and he just like almost immediately he comes out and pulls one of the shard bears away from Adolin. What were your guys's what were your guys' thoughts on the the first half of this duel before before Kaladin jumps in? So it was it was very action packed and honestly it made it 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 made it pretty evident that obviously Adolin is in this one versus four and he can't win it, but he is like leagues above all of them individually and can even like hold his own and kind of throw him back a little bit. Um so yeah, it made it look really, really interesting and really exciting, but you kind of knew that could only last so long. Um, and then Renoin came out, and that was a slight shock for me. I, I was expecting someone else, I guess, but um, when I had the, the reveal there, I thought that was really cool. But also, I thought he was going to get clobbered. Yeah, what a what a moment when Renarin comes out to to his brother's aid! Like, wow, that that was powerful right there. I mean, such such courage there from Renarin. He knows he could just straight up die, you know, in this right. moment. He he is he is almost certainly going to die. He knows that he is not on the level of these shard bearers. He knows that he has his fits of epilepsy and going out there without sharp blade or without sharp plate is is suicide and he does it to save his brother like wow my respect for Narin was already fairly high already I, I like the guy but that man he's he just shot himself up to like favorite character territory with this this is a cool move here i love this yeah one of my favorite moments of the duel is all four shard bearers are about to engage Adolin at the very beginning, and he and Adolin hears Zyle's voice above yeah. the crowd, and this is definitely one of those movie moments of like right before the race starts, you hear the coach's voice, and you're like the athlete hears the coach's voice in his head, like you know, what whatever the strategy is, and Zyle says, "Give it to him. They're afraid of you." Don't don't treat this like a duel. Treat this like a fight for your life, because that's what this is. And Adolin says, "Oh yeah, okay," and then just steps into like this aggressive uh, stance. I don't remember which stance he uh, he pulls to start, but instead of like trying to like back away and dance back and forth between each of the sh uh, shard bears, he just throws himself at one of them and cracks a, a lot of their shard blades. I don't remember all the technicalities of what happens, but. He that, that's one of the, my favorite moments is Zyle's just like you're you're screwed anyway just go like <laughs> make him afraid of you. I did really like that. I I actually thought at one point I was like, what if Zyle hops in here? You know, that would be pretty crazy. He didn't, and I didn't really think he was, but it did cross my mind with all of that going on. And once, um, they're in a more rough stance, uh, for me whenever. It first like mentions like oh someone else has walked out like someone's coming to help i definitely thought it was going to just be kaladin right out of the gate i was like okay kaladin's just gonna hop in there and give him the work but uh it was renarin and i was afraid that it still was just gonna be 
bad and they're both just gonna die right um thankfully that was not the case largely due to shalon i would say um well shalon by advising pattern to kind of go go help renarin but I, I thought that was pretty cool but before we go any further in the duel though i do want to th- i need your guys's help to think to, to think about who exactly we're fighting here because i feel like this is actually pretty important and it took me actually a little while to figure this out so we know he's fighting against relis and elit and yakimov which is a big surprise and a new name at least i think it's a new name a abrobadar is that the the way they say it in the book is abrobadar abrobadar i was trying to figure out where all these guys are are from so we know that none of them are from sadius's camp directly although we know that sadius is kind of orchestrating all this in the in the background i believe i picked up in this chapter that relis and elit they're they're cousins right we learned that from before they're from ruthar's camp Mm mm-hmm I think is what this says. Yep. And then it, it specifically mentioned that Abrobadar is from Aladar's camp. Do we know where Yakimov is from? We've been told. I don't remember though. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of funny because he's the only one that we've seen like much before. Right. Yeah. Because cause he was like a friend of Adolin. Right. right. He's Adolin's weird. drinking buddy. Yeah. And so, so we had heard then. Yeah. I don't know where he's from. Right, I'll have to go. I'll have to go see if we can look that up. If that's something we've we've learned prior to this, but but where I'm going with all this is, this is not just like Sadius is doing. This is the coming together of all of their enemies working together in one. What they are thinking is going to be the masterstroke to bring down an Adolin, and we've seen before just how hard it is to get the different high princes to work together to do anything. So the fact that they're willing to come together it, to try and undercut Adolin and, and Dalinar with this rather dirty move that they pull, this shows a level of coordination amongst them that I don't know that we've seen yet. And again, this might depend on kind of where Yakimov is from, whether this is like three different camps working together or just Rowion's two. But... camp. I just looked it up. Rowion, awesome. So so it is a third camp then. So there are three different high princes, three different houses working together to do this underhanded trick and try and bring down Adolin Dollar. That seems pretty important to me right there. And none of them are Sadius, so. Right. Which plays into the fact that we, we don't know the politics here, but Amaram isn't willing to go help Dalinar because he's in sadius's war camp that's where he's from is sadius's princedom so i'm i'm sure he was told by by sadius do not go go help uh uh adolin here so that's why yep i was kind of glad that happened once once we knew that uh and adolin were gonna be okay i was kind of glad that happened because i think that will start a more serious conversation or hopefully between Dalinar and Amaram, like what was going on there, you know, um, which albeit 
Imran could very easily be like, I don't think I would have like made it against four shard bears, you know, whatever. Right. Um, there's kind of a scapegoat there, but it, it's still, I, I hope we'll lead between maybe Dalinar seeing more about Amaram, um, or talking to him, figuring something out. So I, I hope the same because Dalinar did notice it that that's mentioned a couple times that Dalinar does note that he, he looked to Amaram to, to step in and he doesn't. And Kaladin, I think even brings that up later on when he's, they're talking about his accusation there. He, he points out Amaram didn't come to the rescue. What was up with that? So yeah, maybe that is the, the seed of doubt that'll get planted there in, in Dalinar's mind, as far as Amaram's concerned. At the beginning of chapter 57, which is halfway through this duel, Shallan, we get like a page of point of view from Shallan, and she's sitting next to Sabariel, and Sabariel's saying, oh, why doesn't he, why doesn't he surrender? This, this is stupid. He should just surrender, give up his shards, move on with life. And they don't, they don't see what's happening, but they've threatened Adolin uh, to say, you will not surrender or we will kill Renarin. That's what they're. That's the threat that they've given him, and so when Shalon realizes that Adolin's not going to surrender, she sends Pattern to go distract Adobadar. I think it is who's yeah. uh, sitting in front of Renarin. I I noticed this as well. Which there's a cool little bit in here too, actually, about Shalon. Shalon already trusts Adolin a lot. Like she, she doesn't send Pattern to trust, or she doesn't send Pattern to help Adolin because she thinks, well, obviously he hasn't surrendered, so he's obviously got a plan. Like I, I don't want to mess with that, but hey, go go help Renarin out, to make, try and make sure he doesn't get killed. So that that was a cool moment there from from Shalon. But I think the most important bit out of all of this for me is that later during the battle, Syl notices Pattern. She does. And she she heads off to like investigate, and we don't hear anything more about it about that for the rest of these chapters, which I was really hoping we would. But this may start a, a plot line that we've been anticipating for a little while of interactions, perhaps between Syl and Pattern. Yes, I'm very excited, and I also love how it happened in very typical Syl fashion. So Kaladin kind of jumps in, and so it's like, "Ooh, what's that?" And just yeah, goes off. Bye. Right. We, we we know exactly what she saw, but um, she's just like, ooh. It's also very typical Brandon Sanderson fashion where it's this one-liner that, I mean, might be important, might not, but you won't know for at least three more chapters because that's how many we've read. So yeah. I just want to, to highlight Kaladin's quote here of, honor like dalinar is asking the crowd where is our honor and kaladin steps up beside him and says honor is dead but i'll see what i can do and that that that's a, a fan favorite quote from everybody it's a really good one that that is a mic drop moment for sure and and so powerful oh man this this was a good scene i i I, I agree with all the fans out there who love this scene. This may this may be one of my favorites so far that we've we've read. Just for the powerful 
scene that we have depicted of us of clearly Adolin and Renarin are fighting against overwhelming odds. They're going to be beaten. They're probably going to die. And Dalinar's looking to all the Alethi, you know, high princes, the ones that are supposed to be, you know, these honorable knights and whatnot, and says, you know, who will help? Who will step down and help sons after they've been betrayed? And none of them will even look at him. Elokar won't help. Amaram won't help. None of these other high princes will help. And who steps up to do the right thing where all these light eyes are failing? Of course, it's Kaladin. Of course, it's Kaladin that steps up to protect people he doesn't even really like. He doesn't even really like Adolin Renarn. He doesn't like light eyes, but he knows this is the right thing to do. And so he steps up and he does it. I love it. I actually want to slightly disagree. Not not really disagree, but think about it slightly differently. So I don't fully fault the other light eyes for not going in because from their perspective, it's kind of like a death sentence to hop in there or you're just throwing away your shards or something because you're still at disadvantage and there should be another way that you win. Right. Um, and also... Kaladin does go in and he is doing the right thing. I guess it's typical Kaladin fashion, but he kind of views it as he's doing his job almost. Um, he's very much like, well, I guess I am supposed to be their bodyguard. So I guess I'll hop in and try and save him um, and stuff. And I don't want to take away from his heroicism. But it wasn't that. What's the word I'm looking for? Honorable? Well, I don't know. It was more of a loyalty thing, I would say. Like, he did it because he's loyal to Dalinar, and Dalinar was kind of pleading for help um, and stuff. I feel like more than. You're on. Yeah, but he, he does know it's the right thing. He, he did know for sure uh, whether or not he said it. That's that's Elokar's point later is this is Cal that's Kaladin's job. You're you're freaking out about him protecting in a bodyguard when he was invited to help in a duel, but Dalinar thinks it's amazing. As well he should. Uh, I'm gonna bash on Kaladin for a second. Or in a second when when he makes a I think a rather stupid decision, mm. but I I, I do want to defend him just a little bit here and that I, I don't think this falls in any way under his his job description, if you will. You know, this this is a, a duel that has been agreed to by all parties. These should not be enemies necessarily. Any point in this, Adolin and Renarin can can yield. They can get out of this. And so they're while their life well, their lives are definitely at in danger here or at stake, they can back out of this at, at any point. And so for Kaladin, I, I feel like should not be obliged to step in and, and do this. And so the fact that he does still goes down in, in my book as, as something impressive, I guess, in that I don't, I didn't feel like he needed to do that or should have been expected to. And so for him to, to go ahead and step up and do it definitely was, was impressive but yeah I, I 
I, I can definitely see the the other side of that and where Elokar does come out later on with it with an argument, but Elokar makes me a little angry later. We'll we'll talk about that. But yeah. I can definitely agree there. Yeah. And and Kaladin definitely is being heroic here, you know. He he's one hundred percent he he like knows what he's doing, but I guess it's kind of like a uh, not again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um attitude stuff towards it so so minutia in the in the duel kaladin is using his surge binding um in the in the fight hoping nobody notices and like we said sill sees pattern and and leaves kaladin for for a quick second and then the the mechanics at work here that we've been told about shard plate is really really funny because as this as the shard plate loses its stormlight it's gonna it locks up and it can't it can't move but adolin uses that to his advantage he's already taken down two two shard bears and there's one in front of him facing kaladin and as it locks up on him he jumps on this shard bear's back and pulls him down on top of him i stare hugs him i imagine right (laughs) and I I just really like that like using that mechanic of shard plate it's very like it, it would make sense in the it's world hilarious. that we've been given yeah, it's pretty cool yeah this was that was one thing that like so there were two I had two favorite moments from this fight one of which I want to briefly go back to the second of which was this I thought it was hilarious and and as it kept talking about him losing stormlight from his from his shard plate and it was getting heavier, locking up all this stuff. I was like, "Please tell me he's just gonna like pen someone, and they just can't move." Like, <laughs> please tell me. And I was so happy when it happened. Oh my goodness, it was great. The other thing, which so so you briefly mentioned, uh, Callan was trying to, you know, he still wants to mask his his surge binding, um, and he, you know, it talks about it was a super bright day, like you know, people can't really see him inhaling stormlight. Um, but I think people were still going to ask a lot of questions because he did drop kick someone in the chest and break their and shard break plate. The chest plate, yeah. And that was one of my favorite like things I've seen so far in a fight because it talks about how he just like jumped and then like lashed himself down like ten times in like a short distance, and he literally broke both of his legs, just like crashing into the shard plate, just shattered his legs. Then he kind of gets down. And he's like. Whoa! Ow. And then, <laughs> and then, thankfully, I guess Stormlight's pretty—it's pretty effective. It's pretty strong, so it just kind of healed his legs, and he was all right. But I thought that was <laughs> incredible because he's just looking at these shard bears, and he's like, "What do I do? Like, how do I do this?" And he's like, I "Guess I'll try this." So, thankfully, it was enough force to actually break it. If not, then he would have just used up all the Stormlight for nothing. So. Yeah, but those awesome. Are my fight moments. Awesome, awesome scenes here. As as Brandon Sanderson describes this duo, I mean, you feel like you're you're there. You can just picture the 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 cinematic cuts of, of of each of these scenes. It was just so so well described. I I think this was some of the best Sanderson descriptive writing. I think we've we've read at least that I can remember 
through this section of just, you know, the way he's describing the mechanics of this fight, you know, you can just picture the whole thing in your, in your mind, which is so, so cool. I, I really loved it. So moving on from the action of the, uh, of the duel, we get a few Easter eggs in here. One was, uh, one was Syl noticing pattern. The other, well, there's, two other ones the the other one is kaladin performs the last clap maneuver that he learns from zyle and then he hears screaming what are your guys's thoughts on on this any any predictions any i didn't really pick up on that until just now i honestly don't remember that i, I mean i guess if it mentions screaming I guess I would have just thought of like a crowd going or roaring or something. I, I didn't think about that, but maybe it plays into the whole do shard blades have spren thing. Maybe the spren was screaming at him. He was like, what? <laughs> what? He caught me? Like, he can't do that. So I I was thinking about this a lot more the second time I, I read through, and I've, I'm trying to think back. This is the first time Kaladin has ever touched a shard blade. I think it is. It is. I have to think back. Even even all the way back to when he first killed that first shard bearer, which we now suspect heavily was Helleran. I don't think he ever touched the shard blade. I don't think that shard blade ever came in contact with him. And so this being the first time he's ever touched one, this seems really significant to me. The fact that when he touches the blade, it, it seems like both him and this is what, Relis, I, I think? I think it's Relis, yeah. Yeah, him and Relis appear to hear this screaming, but no one else seems to hear this this screaming. And so I'm tying this in my mind to Sill's aversion to shard blades somehow. I think... You know, she's always been like, oh, don't touch Starblade. No, that's not great. Somehow she knows that they're like, this is part of why she's so doesn't like Starblades, at least I think. And I, my theory on this is that I think it was a Spren that they heard the voice of. Okay. I don't think it was Sill because later on, like just a couple paragraphs later, it talks about how Sill's like reveling in the joy of the wind or something like that. So it doesn't make sense to me that Sill would go from screaming to, you know, all excited about the, you know, adrenaline of the fight, you know, seconds later. I think it was either, yeah, the spren of the blade itself, or what if it was the spren of the original Knight Radiant who was betrayed by the Knight when they broke their vows? And, and we don't know all the details of how all of that even worked. Although I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the epigraphs that we've seen in this part with maybe a little bit of theories on, on some of that here in a second. But if you're kind of, if you're running with the theory of the, the night's radiance of old on the day of recreants broke their bonds with the, the spren, you know, betraying them. Is this like the latent screams of that spren who was betrayed by the original night? That's kind of my theory on this, that I think that's what happened here. Do you remember what Relis says as he's running willy-nilly out of the out of the arena? 
I, I do vaguely, you may have to help me. He says something about like, I didn't kill you or, or something like that. And that, that was part of playing into my, my thoughts here of if, if the Spren is, you know, screaming at them f- about his betrayal and, and Relis is just kind of confused of like, I didn't betray you. I didn't kill you. I, I, I'm not. I think that's where that was going. This is all theories, all guesses. But yeah, I, I, I feel like that was very important, that moment there. All because he did the, the last clap maneuver, which Zyle told him never to do. Because it's dumb. But it apparently worked. It is, it is dumb. <laughs> it's risky. Okay. Uh-huh. It obviously was not dumb then, because it kind of worked. But very, it, very risky. It's last ditch, right? You've, you've got yeah. no other choice. You might as well try and catch the blade that's going to kill you if you don't. Mm-hmm. True. There's there's one more part in here that I want to highlight before we move on to the boon here in a second. Renarin. Adolin, or maybe it's Kaladin. Kaladin yells at Renarin to yield as he's being charged by Relis. Did either of you pick up on Renarin's reaction? This is he's he's kind of on the he's on the ground after he's had an epileptic seizure and everybody in the fight has dismissed him as not part of the duel anymore and when relis realizes i'm going to lose this duel he goes to try to kill renarin did do any of you remember renarin's reaction I remember this, but I don't remember his reaction specifically. Um, I do remember that because they were afraid they were going to use him as leverage to to still win, but I don't remember his reaction. I remember at one point, I think it's Kaladin notices that Renarin is crying, but that might be a little bit earlier in the fight. I, If I'm trying to remember this, this scene right, Relis is charging over to Renarin, He's going to, yeah, you assume he's going to kill him, but then he stops and, and decides not to, I guess, and turns and attacks Kaladin. But in that moment, doesn't it describe Renarin as like, just kind of like accepting his fate or something like that? That's kind of the impression I remember. So Renarin's kneeling and he's crying and he's looking at his shard blade. Kaladin yells at him to yield and Renarin looks up and dismisses his shard blade. And is just resigned to accept what's about to hit him. Relis hesitates because he doesn't know if he really wants to kill. Renarin turns and swings at Kaladin. Last clap, blah, blah, blah. We already talked about that. But Renarin is having some very clear mental issues here. (laughs) he's, He's run in to try to save his brother and has this seizure and is super... I don't know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to put here, but Renarin does resign his life and he doesn't need to, he can, he can surrender to the judge at any point and he dismisses his shard blade and kind of just looks at Relis and is waiting 
for this this shard blade hit. So there's there's something weird happening in Renarin's head here. Yeah, I'm picking up on more of that now that you now that you kind of explained that. I I didn't I was so wrapped up in all the other events I didn't really think too much about where Renarin's head was at with with all this. I I guess I'm just thinking maybe that's all just part of his struggle of wanting to identify as a warrior and and he can't and and maybe this, you know, failure is is failure should what he probably at that point views as a failure to save his brother as you know a failure of him as a as a person maybe maybe there's a lot more there though i don't i'm not i'm not i'm not really sure that's basically what i thought i kind of I, I do remember that a little bit i kind of took it as like a uh, I, i'm gonna give my life for the greater good do my heroic thing you know but yeah you're right there's literally no need for him to albeit the judge is because because adolin tries no biased. to yeah right. <laughs> The judge seems a little bit hard of hearing, I would say. <laughs> um, uh, Adelaide tries to call out and surrender at one point, but she just doesn't hear him. So it ends up being a good thing, I guess, But because they win. But yeah. I actually thought that that was going to become a technicality like later on was that Adeline tried to yield words and then in that moment i was like oh no he's gonna win but then they're gonna like harken back to that moment like oh well actually you yielded before you you won so i was glad that did not become a a technicality and become a problem later and he does ultimately win the whole thing which was epic and he receives a boon from elokar and this whole mechanic was explained last last week and we didn't talk about it maybe earlier this week i don't i don't remember at some point this week but i don't know either it it was last week i think because shalon is the one who ultimately discovers this and so they're they're talking about it at at one point i think in one of the previous shalon chapters i don't remember but basically it's if you if you perform a feat of great strength if you will for the king he can grant you a boon and it will be granted really kind of no matter what it is, as long as it's not something crazy. And he challenges Sadius to a duel right then, right as he's um, just won 4v3 against uh, these shard bearers. And before anyone can say anything else, the crowd's all quiet. Kaladin speaks up and says, and for my boon, I want to duel Amaram. And then he gets arrested. Calder really did that. Do you blame him though? This is highly know how- this is contentious is- within the the <laughs> Stormlight fandom, so careful what you say. Because some people really do blame Kaladin here, and some people do not at all. So, all right, I'll make some people upset. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so just just double checking our bases here. Does Kaladin know how the boon system works? Does he like get it? Yes. 
Because so like this is just awarded to Adolin, right? Like Kaladin doesn't actually get a boon, does he? Like Renarin doesn't get a boon, does he? Or do they all? You know what? This was explained because it was explained in chapter 55. It was explained this week because it was explained in chapter 55 where Shallan and Adolin and Kaladin are all sitting in the carriage together. So Kaladin yeah. definitely knows what how okay. this mechanic works. And he's taking matters into his own hands here. So, yes, he understands what's happening. He understands what's happening, but I think he he incorrectly jumps to the assumption that he has the right to claim this boon. And I think that in, in reading it from kind of an outsider's perspective, it seemed fairly clear to me that only Adolin was getting offered this this boon. And so for Kaladin to kind of jump to conclusions that, oh, and I get one too, I, I can totally see why he did it. I can totally see him thinking, you know, this is my chance. This is my chance to get at Amaram without having to, you know, stab him in his bed in the middle of the night in a dishonorable way. But if he had maybe taken a little more time to think about this, I think he should have understood why this was not something had the right claim at this point. I, I I agree with that pretty strongly, Elliot. Like, yeah, I I think Kaladin was still kind of getting ahead of himself with uh, just jumping in there like that. It was very much his spur of the moment decision making, which he kind of likes to do. Um. So yeah, I do I do fall Kaladin for this. I'm not going to be too harsh on him, but. I do think it was his fault, and he kind of should have known better. He he just got really caught up in his own personal agenda instead of the group's agenda as a whole on what they were doing. So that is certainly what Dalinar explains to him in next mm -hmm. next chapter. Yeah, and I I think I I'm kind of processing it as I don't I don't think that what Kaladin did was was wrong. I think that Amram certainly does need to be called out. I think that for for Kaladin to get a chance to to duel Amram and, and bring that to a closure, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's something that shouldn't happen. But Kaladin is not thinking this through. This is not the right time or the right place to to do this. Even if it had worked, well, let's let's play this out a little bit. Even if this had worked and. Adolin still got his duel with Sadius, and then Kaladin gets his duel with Amaram. Nobody knows the dark history that Amaram has. And so even right. if Kaladin wins that duel, Kaladin is now the villain. He just took down the one of the most honorable men of the Alethi nation, who is just named the leader of the new Knights Radiant. Like, there's no good ending to, to that path there aside from i guess Kaladin would maybe feel better that, that he got his revenge although i kind of even doubt that he that he would there so Kaladin is letting the adrenaline and his desire his thirst for revenge drive his decision making and i think it definitely lands him uh, i'm definitely going to be on the the side of the fence of this was not the right move for for Kaladin to make it, it especially given the time and place yeah, it was straight up not cool 
True. I'm a big fan of Brandon Samson's writing of Dalinar in this final chapter, chapter 58, because you can totally understand Dalinar's frustration with what just happened. It finally happened. They finally trapped Sadius in a duel. And who spoils it? But the guy that you were just super proud of literally 10 seconds ago. And you're just like, he's so frustrated. He could, he just he grabs him by the shoulder and just shakes him. He's like, "We had it. We were there. We we were doing it." And you put your own petty vengeance in front of in in front of our wider goals. And granted, he doesn't believe what Amram did was the truth, but he's he's still he's still so frustrated. And I think Brandon Sanderson's portrayal of Dalinar here is so good that you can totally understand everybody's point of view here. Kaladin trying to take his chance, Elokar being super angsty and frustrated, and, like, we, we were going to take down Sadius, who was probably going to try to assassinate me, you know, like, we, all, all sides here, you understand. Yeah, it was definitely in a definitely an emotional chapter in that, that chapter 58 in a, yeah frustrating fr frustration and anger um lots of lots of negative emotions flying around in that the final chapter there what are you guys' thoughts on kaladin's final words to sill of never going to trust the light eyes again and that's how part three ends he he feels betrayed by dalinar or at least that's what he's telling himself at in this sad time. His sad boy hours. Hopefully, yes. hopefully, Sil can kind of talk him through it again because he has these feelings often, right? <laughs> Very often. Um, and obviously, he has right to be upset right now. He thought he had it like within his grasp. He thought he was going to be able to duel Amaram. Um. And now he's in jail, so you know, quite the high and low of a day, you know. Right. Um, I don't know. So, so I, I want to just say, you know, he'll get over it. He'll be fine. But also, I think he is gonna. I don't think he's gonna work with Dalinar anymore going forward. Or so. I, th I think he's gonna just take it too personally, and I don't know go to, i don't know what he's gonna do but i i sincerely worry that he's going to reconsider his position on moash and moash's other friends who were actively trying to assassinate elokar not only did did kaladin just lose respect for dalinar he probably just lost even more respect for elokar and so he may go throw his his lot in in with them next if i'm being honest i think i think where this is going to go with his attitude towards light eyes is going to be very heavily dependent on what happens immediately following this dalinar has just told him you know hey man go quietly go to jail chill out i'll get you out if Dalinar lets him sit there for like six months, 
Callan is is going to be you know that that bridge is going to be burnt. He's never going to work with with Dalinar ever again. If Dalinar does, or, or any light eyes for that matter, if if Dalinar does come through on this and doesn't forget Kaladin and and does pursue like trying to resolve this actively, maybe he can he can build that relationship back up and maybe Kaladin can come around to understand that hey, what I did was maybe justified but a little foolish at the same time so we can get there. So whatever happens next, I think is going to be very important as to how Kaladin is going to treat the other light, not other light eyes because he's not a light eyes, treat the light eyes around him going forward. I agree. I think the only thing I want to add to that is I think the only way that we could see him coming back around, uh, coming back around to Dalinar and them is if if there is a greater evil, I guess, um, because mm. as far as we've seen Kaladin, he's never been concerned with like the Parshendi or anything like that. It's just been kind of about himself, light eyes, personal vengeance things, like personal development stuff like that. Um, but I feel like the Parshendi are becoming a much larger looming threat fairly quickly, um, and with that happening, it could kind of unify them again uh, whether he likes it or not so yeah that's a really good point are there any thoughts on this episode specifically before we get into wrapping up part three i think we hit all the big stuff Okay, Elliot, I know you want to talk about epigraphs because you have noticed some interesting epigraphs going through part three, so I will hand it over to you and you can have the floor. All right, I want to get Paul's thoughts on, on these, these two as well, so I'll, I'll share a little bit of what I've thought about some of the epigraphs and maybe a little bit of a theory coming out of this part three you actually asked me about some of the epigraphs maybe a, a handful of episodes ago and I, I pushed off your question to to now i wanted to see the rest of them from this this whole part because across all of part three we've been getting excerpts from words of radiance that the in-world you know book words of radiance that shallan had at one point but lost and is trying to find again and they've been really interesting they've been really you know actually sharing some really pertinent details about the Knights Radiant and like the different orders and maybe some of the interactions there. And so, but we've been, been we've been given them in all the wrong order. We've been handed them one at a time, but then in this very jumbled order, they they actually come with page and chapter numbers from this in-world book. And so what I really wanted to do when we finish this part and what I, what I have, what I, what I just did before this was go back and read them all in the correct order and see if I could decipher, you know, what, what we can learn from, this in-world words of, of Radiance book. And, and going back and, and reading them through, again, they're all super interesting, but as as is becoming a strong theme with Mr. Brandon Sanderson's writing, it's not quite enough information to like draw conclusions. It's it's always cut off, you know, right where I feel like it the where you're about to get the good information. So it's it's tantalizing, it, it's a bit tormenting, but we do learn some very interesting bits about at least at least a little bit about each of the different knights orders of knights radiant, which was really cool. There, all ten of them are mentioned 
in at least one of the epigraphs through part three. You get sometimes like a little nugget of information about them, like the the Dustbringers are finicky about what you call them, and the the Light Weavers are dangerous or, or something like that. There's a few other you know different references, different stuff that I thought was all super interesting. But the most interesting one is one of the very last ones that's like in in chronological order towards the end of this book of of words of radiance and i wanted to i know i'm talking for super long here but i wanted to read two of these let you know what i thought and then i want to know what you think paul as as well so here here's two of them back to back that are from we're told chapter 38 of this in world uh words of radiance book it says this now as the Windrunners were thus engaged, arose the event which has hitherto been referenced, namely that discovery of some wicked thing of eminence, though whether it be some rogueries among the Radiant's adherents or of some external origin, Avena would not, would not suggest. And then the second one says, that they responded immediately and with great consternation is undeniable, as these were primary among those who would forswear and abandon their oaths. The term recreance was not then applied, but has since become a popular title by which this event is named. And there's kind of some fancy wording there that confuses me a, a little bit, but the gist from those little excerpts there is something, something wicked that it names there arose either within the orders of Knights Radiant or without. And I think it caused a division amongst the orders i think some orders either turned like actively against each other and attacked each other or just like didn't agree i think there was a huge maybe disagreement amongst the orders of how to handle whatever this evil thing that appeared or or maybe like one of the orders of radiance betrayed the rest and became this evil thing that that, that happened i i don't know there's not quite enough information here to 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 give me the answer here but this is where my brain is all headed with this Paul, did you do? You, do you remember any of your thoughts on some of these? What What are you thinking of of this stuff? Yeah, I, I do have a few thoughts. So first, which I'm really glad you brought up the epigraphs because I have been noticing for a while that there's all the epigraphs about the the Knights Radiant, and honestly, that's what I'm most excited for. Whenever we finish this book, I'm gonna buy the physical copy, and I really want to go like read them because I I don't quite pick it all up with the audiobook, but um. With those two specifically, the first one, it's probably, this is probably just incorrect, but it is the first thought that popped into my mind. Do you actually mind reading the first one about the Windrunners one more time? Sure. Now, as the Windrunners were thus engaged, arose the event which had hitherto been referenced, namely that discovery of some wicked thing of eminence, though whether it be some rogueries among the Radiant's adherents or of some external origin, Avena would not suggest. Okay. My first thought about that was actually back to the Dark Sphere at the beginning of our story. Oh. Um, because from what we've seen, Zeth is probably a Windrunner. Yeah, we'll say he is. He's either a Windrunner or something, some anomaly. Um, and just kind of the dark thing of eminence there. Yeah. Like, why would he have it or want it or, I don't know, stuff like that. I can't think into that too much because there's just not enough evidence as to what that is. But that's where my mind went. Um, with the second one, with recreants, 
I don't have any pressing thoughts about it, in all honesty. But I think you're right. I think there is definitely a division. But I'm going off of onto that mostly based off of uh, Syl and her dislike for cryptics. Mm. And we know that Pattern is a is a cryptic, right? Right. And she's he's with Shalon, who's you know a Knight's Radiant now, I guess. Um, so there has to be some division or something going on there. So I think you're right. At least it's a disagreement. Um, maybe there was a big spread war. And those are the two sides or something. Or maybe there's more sides. We'll see. But yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in that. I do want to read one more. And it's from the same in-world chapter 38. And it's in front of chapter 41 of our copy of Words of Radiance. And it says... This act of great villainy went beyond the impudence which had hitherto been ascribed to the orders. As the fighting was particularly intense at this time, many attributed this act to a sense of inherent betrayal, and after they withdrew, about 2,000 made assault upon them, destroying much of the membership, but this was only nine of the ten, as one said they would not abandon their arms and flee, but instead entertained great subterfuge at the expense of the other nine. So, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say, Trevor. Before I just wanted to say there's definitely a division happening, whether that's 1v9, whether that's 3v7, whatever this is, mm-hmm. there's definitely something happening here. I see, and that, that's what I was thinking. It, it so, so, my thought was there's like nine and one like betrayed, but it almost sounds like nine betrayed and one stayed like held strong. Right. Um, and so I'm really curious Pause. now as to what that is. Think back to the prelude. Nine heralds betrayed one, left one in damnation. Play. Keep going. I do, I do remember that. I, I was thinking of that specifically. That's been kind of a recurring theme. Also, okay, this could. I think. I think I'm straight wrong about this, but with the prologue of this book with yasna because it shows all the like statues right it wasn't there one missing there yeah. was one missing okay nice so reoccurring themes for sure nine versus one um and it sounds like it now that the the nine who left are kind of the the bad guys i guess i don't know okay so, good stuff so now do we think that Kaladin and the Windrunners are maybe like the one good ones because that's our protagonist here. But we'll find that out. That's my current guess. We'd, we'd need a whole lot more information to guess another group, I feel like. I, I think the the biggest missing piece is what are what is this division about? What right. what is it that caused this? this disagreement or maybe even all out war between the, the orders. Was it, does it have to do with void bringers and the desolations? Was this like betrayal from the inside? Was it just politics? I feel like that's the big piece from the center of this puzzle we're missing. I agree. We're definitely going to need that information before. All right. The entirety of part three, Ellie, I like 
I know you like to find ah, themes yes. in the entirety of part three. We can start towards the wrap up of this episode. Let's talk about the entirety of part three of Words of Radiance. Paul, do you do you want to say anything before I monologue again? I'm straight out of saying things. So no. <laughs> Alrighty. So I, I probably not I hopefully I'm not gonna talk as long as I normally do on, on themes, even though this was a rather long part, actually. This was this was a lot of content spread across a lot of different characters and different scenarios that they were in. But I, I pretty quickly came to a theme largely from the second half of this part of of justice. I feel like a lot of our characters are battling with the concept of of justice and whether do I take justice into my own hands? Do I do I, I enact justice on on those around me? That that's the dilemma all our characters are are having. And we see uh, we see Shalon. I think Shalon is just is is just starting to discover this this I think with her revelation that Amaram has Helloran's shard blade. She I think is going to want justice on on Amaram going forward. Kaladin has always wanted justice on Amram, and he gets his chance, or he thinks he's got his chance to do it, and he acts on that, which we just kind of dissected that here at the end. But on, on top of that, you've got people like Moash talking about justice on Elokar, and you know, kind of this this bigger question of, is it right for people like Kaladin, who have the means to just go and kill someone if they want? They have that power. Is that okay for him to do is that okay for him to take justice into his own hands like that and i feel like that's the that's the the struggle all of our characters were having here and, and even in like adolin's world i think it was it's it's still about you know getting justice on on sadius for for the betrayal for what he did to to him his family out on the the plateau run so i that that might be that might not quite cover the first half of this part, but I think at least through the second half, there was there was a very strong theme of, of justice through part three. Well put. Okay, cool. With, with that, we will leave part three of Words of Radiance. We have interludes coming up. And Paul, you'll be happy to know that Zeth is on the title card for these interludes so we do have Hello. a we do have a zeth interlude coming up and I'm really excited we will be doing those next week so thank you for joining me paul and elliot for the honor is honor is dead but i'll see what i can do scene <laughs> and we will reconvene next week certainly I, yeah i'm excited i can't wait to see where this goes